Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to... Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we have our first regular season edition of The Deciding Point, where we break down all of the action that happens throughout the course of the Division I college tennis season. Of course, technically, this is our second episode of the new year, but it's our first talking about the Division I men's college tennis season. Of course, last night, we caught all of you college tennis fans up on all of the action that's unfolded through the first two weekends of Division I women's play here on tonight's show. We want to perform that same exercise for the men. And while we haven't had any top five showdowns yet to discuss, we still have plenty of results to fill today's shows. Invitationals happening across the country. A few dual matches here and there offering a little insight into the lineups we might see throughout the course of the upcoming kickoff weekend, but more broadly than that, we got a loaded weekend of college tennis coming up this weekend. Plenty of fun matches for us to preview here on today's show, and joining me for the first time in this 2024 regular season as he will join me on each and every Wednesday episode of The Deciding Point, breaking down all the Division I men's action, is a man you all know best as the forefather of the College Tennis Ranks Formula predictions never far from the listed UTR. He is now a lean, mean Michigan Wolverine, the professor, and dare I say, the man who is the most weighted on man right now in college tennis as for getting his website up and running. Yes, that's called public peer pressure, folks. It's my dear friend, Chris Halioris, back for what, your sixth season at the helm here at Cracked Rackets? You can walk. You're potty trained. You're talking. You're starting first grade, my friend. Welcome back to the show. Hey, great shot. How are you doing today? I'm doing great other than the fact that, you know, all the peer pressure for getting the website <laughs> up and going. But but outside of that, you know, uh, I'm doing well, hoping to dodge that uh, responsibility for another day and make it down to Knoxville tomorrow, weather pending for that nice match between the Vols and the Wolverines. But uh, but yeah, all in all, super excited. I mean, we actually have real tennis. And when I say real tennis, it's not about the level. It's about the fact that we actually have matches that count. I mean, teams now have 1-0 and and 2-0 and records. It's no longer just invites, some real matches. Not too many terribly competitive real matches, but boy, we do get started this week with some of those real matches. We are 
eight and a half days as of the time of this recording from kickoff weekend, Chris. We are going to have so many matches to discuss. And Jay made it clear, next week's going to be a two-podcast week for you. So get prepared, my friend. We're going to do the Deciding Point show, recapping all of uh, this upcoming weekend's action. And then, obviously, we got to do our kickoff preview, which Jay has made clear needs to be a separate show, given all the takes we're going to be firing off. And I'm going to be honest, I don't think he's wrong about that fact. So, yeah. Yeah, the college tennis season may be a long burn, but once it, you know, again, there are inflection points where things really take off, and this is certainly one of those moments you mentioned it. Tennessee, Michigan, Tennessee, Wake Forest, UVA, Texas, UVA, South Carolina, amongst the many matches we want to preview on today's show. And to Chris's point, again, we got results to discuss. Maybe not formal dual match lineups, but hidden duels here and there. Certainly players who you feel like might face one another in a hypothetical duel match going head-to-head in some of these first, second weekend invitationals. So felt like the right choice to come together this week, have this podcast, take care of any lingering business we need to before we start rocking and rolling every week. And by the way, this is our last week, not on YouTube. Obviously, you're all listening to this podcast on the Great Shot Podcast platform. These episodes will continue to be posted there. The D1 Women's episode posted late Tuesday night. The men's episode posted late Wednesday night. But If you'd like to interact with this show, come join us live on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel where we'll have episodes Tuesday, Wednesday, 9 p.m. Eastern time every week of the regular season, breaking down again all of of this action. You'll also be able to check out the recently renovated Cracked Rackets studio. Chris, Jay gave me his opinion yesterday. Your thoughts on your preliminary look at the new digs. I, I uh, I love the theme in the background. Uh, colors might be a little light, not the manliest of colors there, Gruskin, but, uh, but all in all, uh, definitely. Uh, I, I, I like it. I like it. You know, you, you talk about us going, getting back in the groove of the YouTube thing. And my first thought of course was a, do I have to throw the green screen back up and B <laughs> do I have to do something with this mess of a head of hair that I have? <laughs> well, two things off of that, Chris, a, some scholars would argue I'm not the manliest man. So I think the lights are properly reflective of that fact. Also, the lights can change colors. They're LEDs, and I could change the colors on you right now. But Westoff has it in a certain configuration. I don't want to screw with that, Chris, because I'm sure he has the colors up for a reason. And we're going to leave that there. So, again, what Westoff says goes. But I will take your initial impression as a passing test of the new digs. Again, to your point. I I do love the tennis ball on the wall. That's Uh, sweet. Oh, we got some things in in the works as well. It's still a work in progress. And again, you'll get to see it on our YouTube channel if you're a college tennis fan. Every Tuesday, Wednesday night for these Deciding Point episodes, we'll also have mini break podcasts up there for all of you listeners. So again, we're going to hit the Crack Rackets YouTube channel hard in 2024. We hope you join us there. Go subscribe if you haven't already. And of course, if you are a loyal listener to this Deciding Point these Deciding Point episodes in podcast format. Rest assured, they will still be available for you, for your commute, for your grocery shopping, for whatever it is you are doing when you listen to this show. That said, Chris, guess what? We don't need no opening tangent. We can get right into some results as we kick off our regular season coverage here of the 2024 college tennis season. And let's start. You're making a face as if you have something for me. I want want to give you the most shocking one that you're not even aware of. I'm going to bet right now. Oh, here we go. Uh Uh-oh. What is it? 
It's being played at the moment as we record. I'm looking around. What did I do? No, no, I'm talking a real match being played. Right oh, now. oh, you're saying you're right. I legitimately, I thought you were looking at me as if to no, say, I'm like, I'll bet you're not watching the score of this match in Memphis. Memphis takes there the doubles is. point and three first sets over Harvard. Really? Yes. You know what's funny is I saw that match was being played. And I go, ah, oh, you know what? I'm not going to need to put it on the sheet. Yeah, no, I'm, looking, have to look. I'm like, holy cow, Memphis got dubs and three uh. percent. And Cooper Williams is about to lose in straight sets. He's down 5-3 in the second. I'm shocked right now. I will say get the loss out now, Cooper. Freshmen in their first match are prone to losing that first match because it's just a different sort of sensation, a different adrenaline rush. Harvard's got a massive matchup coming up this weekend against NC State at home. So yeah, that is Ooh. that is fascinating. Again, what, who knows it a, how it turns out? But yeah, I just figured you're probably not watching that one. And I was shocked to pull it up. It's the only match today. And I couldn't believe when I pulled the score up Wednesday college tennis, Chris, we are so back. And, this you know, again, I'm going to leave all of that in the show because was it great. a little choppy podcasting? It was. But guess what? That's how you know we're back, we're live, and we got results to discuss. Let's start with a couple of invitationals as we rapid-fire through everything. We're going to start with the Gamecock kickoff result. This event, obviously hosted by South Carolina, featured a bunch of good teams here. You had Georgia, you had Illinois, you had South Carolina, you had VCU. Let's go team by team here again. Let's try to do it pretty quickly. Otherwise, this podcast will go four hours. Let's start with the headline. Wasn't the greatest showing. Wasn't the worst showing. Wasn't the greatest showing for the Georgia Bulldogs, who it's pretty clear. We know Mickelson's turned pro. We know Quinn's turned pro. Doesn't seem like Boosie's coming to school either as uh, he is elected to forego that decision. Turned pro now. You know, again, was a pretty good weekend for Ryan Colby. He got a win over Casey Houle. He got a win over William Ross. He, uh, I believe, goes 2-0 and overall. Uh, excuse me, dropped the tight one to Matisse Bobacan of VCU. But obviously, that's a player who we saw finish last season so strongly. So no shame in that game. You know, other than that, Cyrus Majub wins over Carter Morgan. Mathis Bondes, that's actually a very good weekend for the freshman you know, outside that, like Felipe Costa, he got a couple wins over Jorve Akanku. Again, that's pretty solid. That's really it. Like in terms of th- those three stood out, everyone else, it was maybe a spot here, a three-set result there. What'd you learn about the Bulldogs? Obviously, there's a ton of double results you could filter through. Also, it's just a little bit tougher. I guess Georgia goes three. Well, again, they played just so many different schools, so it's tough to filter through them all. Your take. Yeah, I don't I, I, I don't make a, a whole lot out of the doubles yet because a lot of teams are fi- uh, are fiddling around with the lineups. But the, the thing I took away here for, for Georgia, I mean, rough weekend. You mentioned they had two guys in, in, that could have Colby and the freshman that fared semi well, but three and seven the first day, three and seven the second day, five and four the third day. Overall, not good, right? I mean, if you're giving that a grade, that's like a D. So right? we gave I mean, grades yesterday. I'm glad your brain went there. I I would lean C plus. And by the way, seven and four in doubles was the final number. Sorry to cut you off there. The reason I would go C plus is Colby had a good weekend. Like yeah. it looks like he's going to be the number one guy and he's probably earned that right for Majub to beat Bondes. That's a really good 
three-set win. Like, and obviously Carter Morgan, again, he's going to play lower in South Carolina's lineup, but Cyrus beat him 1-0. Like, that's a good piece you're bringing in as a freshman. If he was your 4-5-6 down there with Perez-Pena in this world where Quinn, Boosie, Mickelson are all in school, and it's Kobe, MPP, and Majub as your 4-5-6, that's a national championship contending team. Obviously, that's not the case. They were too good. They had to go pro, but I didn't mean to cut you off there. For MPP, mixed bag, I would say. Losses to Yelani Saar, the South Carolina freshman, a win over Oscar Pintos Sansano of VCU, a loss uh, against Illinois to Hunter Heck 2-2. Two and two. He's got to be the two. Like, him and Colby are going to have to do some heavy heavy lifting early, right? As you project, you feel like him, Colby, uh, Majub, like, that's your top three. That is an inexperienced top three, not in terms of college tennis matches, but playing top three opponents. It's going to be fast. Again, and then you got some questions, four, five, six, who fits where? Yeah, certainly something. I mean, if you step back and you're looking big picture, and obviously you're never going to get a coach to admit this, at least not publicly, right? It's a rebuilding year for sure. Georgia. I mean, when anytime you get two guys like Quinn and Mickelson that are supposed to be there that go pro and leave you, and then your top incoming freshman doesn't come, I mean, you're you're sort of left holding the bag, and and you got to and you got to start the rebuilding. But you know, at the same time, when I look big picture and I go, hey, as you, and you mentioned it, yeah, I don't disagree. Ryan Colby is you know, probably if not the incumbent, he's the guy, you know, battling for that number one spot. If you step back and you say, forget who the teams are. Hey, I got a guy that's probably looking like my number one guy and he couldn't make the lineup for a team that was scratching top 10 last year. Not the best, you know, not, not the best outlook for the team for this year. They do have a bunch of young, talented kids, but yeah, it's going to be, you know, potentially a long year there, uh, uh, you know, especially with the standards that George is used to. They, they are obviously used to winning, you know, conference championships, getting into the national title race, winning national championships. And when you have the guys leave that left, it's just not going to happen. So they're going to have to sort of, you know, it's going to be a rebuilding year. They're going to figure out who they've got, what they've got, do some more recruiting and build up. But but you mentioned it, yeah, Colby and, and Majub. That those guys are that. I mean, that looks to be the top of the t- the top of the lineup. But not a lot of experience. Not definitely not a lot of experience playing top three yeah. uh, in a lineup in a tough SEC conference. It, it's going to be a rough one. And look, they've got Felipe Costa. He got a couple of wins this weekend. Tough three-set loss to Jeremy Zhang. No shame in that. They've got Thomas Pulsell as well. This, the bottom is not going to, you know, the floor's not going to completely fall out from under this team. They'll be in the NCAA tournament. I would be surprised if they are a top 16 seed. Again, so many different pieces to fill. One of the other teams competing there who I think has to be in that top 16 conversation and maybe the favorite to finish second place in the Big Ten, given the relative inexperience of Michigan State, is Illinois. Solid weekend. Solid couple of weekends for the Illini, who not only played this Gamecock kickoff event, but had the Illini Invitational, an event that saw Heck get a win over an Aiden Kim that saw, you know, uh, a guy in Mathis DeBrew get a win over a Nate uh, over a Nate Bonetto. And then obviously you look at this event I mentioned, you know, heck having success. I think Ozalans goes undefeated with a couple of wins. There was a weird loss in there for, uh, I'm blanking on his name, 
Uh, Kenta Miyoshi, I think he lost one, but then he bounced back with a win as well. Again, guys like Mraz, Bowers, Horve, all finding wins throughout the course of the weekend. This team's got real depth, Chris. Like, they've got real options and some experience everywhere now as well. Where are you with this Illinois team? What would you grade their first two weekends? Yeah, I, I mean, I think... They're the certainly from the ITA person. Are they even in the top 25 in the ITA? They're not currently in the top 25. I don't think they are. Yeah. And I think they, to me, in looking at, say, this Gamecock Invitational that had a number five South Carolina, the team that came out as the winners was Illinois. Uh, And and yeah, I think they are a team that is going to be they're definitely in the top 16 conversation. I think they're, you know, they're on the outskirts of trying to be better than that, if you will. I don't think they're in the top eight conversation. So, but battling for a top 16 seed, absolutely. And I think that they're looking, they're looking very good right now. I I like that team a lot. Uh, and, and I would say they have to be my odds on favorite as the number two team behind Ohio State in the Big Ten. Yeah, I mean, again... If you're, I'm looking at these rankings, and I can honestly see perfectly whose spot they belong. Because, again, this team was better last year, but they should have Florida State's spot. They should be the 25th team in the top 25 right now. Just straight swap, Illinois, Florida State, maybe not directly in that 20 spot. Other than that, I kind of really like the 25 teams in there. Or maybe you swap them out for Georgia, if that's what you want to do as well. But... Yeah, they looked really good uh, over the course of their first two weekends. They got real pieces everywhere. And again, Jeremy Zhang was pretty solid throughout the course of the weekend as well. Just an interesting piece maybe you weren't as familiar with, one to watch for. South Carolina didn't have the big dogs, but... You know, again, Yelani Sar gets a win over Kenta Miyoshi. That's what it was, three and four. I think uh, he also got a win over MPP, two and one. And I mean, again, if he is doing that, now you think, okay. We got a fourth piece for sure in our singles lineup moving forward. And just like that, I think Sean uh, Dyer-Abegi got got a couple of wins over the course of the weekend as well. You know, doubles, hard to judge because they didn't have the big dogs in there. And the lineups are going to look different. But considering what they were looking for, the young guys looked pretty solid. No, you know, no one got blown out. No one got overwhelmed, except for maybe Hool in that Majub match. Yeah, I'm actually Yolani uh, Morgan, Star- not Hool. Yeah, Morgan. Yeah, Yolani Sar is the guy I am. I'm looking. He, you know, much like you mentioned, the couple wins, Miyoshi and and uh, and MPP here in this tournament, he had similar sort of make you take notice type wins outside of college over the summer that you went, wow, this, you know, this could be an up and comer for South Carolina. So I'm really excited to see what he can do because if you can add him as a solid contributor to, you know, uh, Thompson Samuel. And and story top three, yeah, they probably deserve that number five ranking if they get those kinds of contributions. So so yeah, they'll be exciting to look. And like you said, it's hard to make too much of South Carolina. I said Illinois was the big winner. It's because Illinois, you know, played the guys they played. They played most of their guys. Uh, South Carolina didn't. There was no Thompson. There was no Samuel. There was no story. So it was it was some playing time for everyone else but really hard to judge the team as a whole without the top dogs playing. Between Saar, Diarabegi, Morgan, Hool, and De Silva, there's a 4-5-6 there. And obviously we know what that top three looks like. And so again, them being preseason top 10, given the uncertainty surrounding the bottom three and their singles lineup and how those pieces are going to fit in doubles. I don't feel too shabby about including him in that list moving forward. But again, those are your look Gamecock invitational results. By the way, just that Illinois 
Final thought on that Illini Invitational. Heck, a win over Aiden Kim. Uh, Beneno got a win over Jeremy Zhang in three set. Bowers, a win over Endegren in straights. Uh, William Raz, a win over Gainison in three sets. We're going to talk more about the Florida Gators a little bit later on this show as they've got an interesting match coming up this weekend. Let's move on, though, to the Sherwood Cup now. And again, I don't really know what the format of any of these invitational events truly are. Are they hidden duels? Are we playing formal dual matches? A&M and UCLA ultimately did play a dual match that we'll talk about in a little bit. You look at the course of the weekend. Let's start with the headline. Not the best weekend for the USC Trojans. It's not like the floor fell out from underneath them, but you look at the results in doubles. I think they got swept by Cal in doubles and split 3-3. Losses uh, for Mock to Overbeck, West Strait to Chung, uh, Carl Lee to Ryder Jackson in three sets. And by the way, the West Strait and Mock losses three sets as well. Uh, they get wins at 5-6 uh, in three. Rubella straight set win over Stepanov at four, but again, it wasn't really dual match lineups. Uh, Again, against UCLA, same thing. Three, uh, it uh, doubles didn't go the best. I think they got swept again, and then they go two four in singles matches. You see Govananda in action. We'll talk about that in a bit. Did bounce back a little bit against AM, go 4-2 in singles there. Their losses, both three set losses in third set breakers. Again, they didn't get blown out anywhere, but we didn't see Stefan Dostanich, which I think is very important. Uh, I didn't mean it to say in that tone. Let me try that again. Leave it in, though, Westoff. We, they did not have Stefan Dostanich. That obviously matters because it pushes everyone down in the lineup. And again, it wasn't even formal lineups here this weekend. But it was a mixed bag for all the other players filling, uh, uh, looking to fill in those non Destonish spots in the singles lineup. I mean, again, big picture. Mock goes two and one. He's probably the favorite to play at two. I Kubanko had a solid weekend, one and two overall, but he got the Nanda test and get overwhelmed there. Loses that match three and three. You feel like he's for sure going to be in there. Westrate one and two overall on the weekend. Rubel one and two overall on the weekend. Carl Lee two and one, but you know, kind of got a retirement victory over Tokats in that final match. I don't know, Chris. Again. I still have questions about USC, I suppose, as we look towards kickoff weekend. I know that I think they have one of the UCs this weekend, but it's going to be really interesting to see how they perform and who goes yeah. where. Yeah, they get UC Irvine and and uh, uh, and, an, and and an Andy Jackson led UNLV. I'm so excited to have Andy mm. Jackson back in college tennis. Uh, but uh, they get them uh, this Saturday. Uh, you know, I to me, I won't make too much out of it, other than sure, you know, a big picture. They didn't look great. Be the first to admit it. B, you have to pack factor in. No Steph. Uh, I think the thing that I actually am going to take away from this more than anything is after seeing some of the results, I think Carl Lee's in the lineup. There are questions about who fills in, you know, who are the guys filling in uh, at the bottom. I think Carl Lee's going to be in there. Uh, you know, I'm, I question every year for the, for the past couple of years now, since Sam Rebell, you know, transferred from Duke to USC, we've been like, Hey, Sam's got, he, he seems to put up some decent matches. He never seems to crack the singles lineup. Is he going to be there? I still, for whatever reason that he never makes it in, he didn't win me over this weekend either. I think it's Carl. I think it's Carl Lee. Maybe reward you see Rebel in doubles, but uh, but I don't know. So so those those are kind of my takeaways. Is I'm not worried necessarily about the team, but it didn't give me great like gung ho. I'm all hyped up on these guys. Um, 
But that was my biggest takeaway is I think Carl Lee's actually looking good and we'll probably see him. 100%. Not hitting the panic button in any sense of the word, but they still have to figure out who fits where. And again, it's one weekend of play. That's not surprising. But you always feel good if someone stands out and wins the weekend. And again, like no one went undefeated. Yeah, there were a couple two and ones mixed in, but still some questions. It was a great couple, a uh, great weekend for Texas A&M out west. I think that's where I want to go next as yeah. not only do they get a 4-3 victory over UCLA in a match where, um, again, uh, was it four three? Was it four two? Four, they, really the sure. final was four three. I think it was clinched yeah. four two. They played it out in a ten in a breaker and four three. They yeah. Beat. Nanda might have won that third set breaker over Perot, but look, I mean, not only do they win that match, I mentioned you know they go two four with USC in singles, um, but I think and I think two one they fall in doubles, but they. At what you look at what was the A and M match? I think there was A and M on day two or day three. They, they went nine event. and zero against Cal. Yeah, they swept nine and zero in singles against Cal. No, that's Alex Ain't Alex Ainey beat Kenner Taylor ten two in the third. So I see that on the Cal sheet. So nine and one, Chris. Nine and one ah. overall. I have ten and one overall because I, we had Scobar kick knocking out Mikey Wright as well. I bet that wasn't on your list, but like, okay. 10 and 1 against Cal. That's a Perot beats Overbeck. That's a really good win. JC Roddick, who we've been wondering, when's he going to get going? He gets a 6 2 third set victory over Ryder Jackson. Like, there was some real success across the board for AM. Again, in their dual match, you see uh, Roddick with a win over Hoog Martins. That's a really impressive victory. And again, he was playing two singles in that match, Chris. That feels particularly notable. Uh, you know, again, Togan Tokots coming in. He. Drops a match at three singles, but he's in that number one double spot. Him and Perego get a 6-1 victory. Again, A&M's got a lot of pieces. It's still interesting to try and figure out who fits where, but they looked pretty good out West. They are certainly in that top 16 hunt. And in a year in the SEC where there is so much uncertainty, that team has depth and experience. Like they, Tell me why they can't win it. Tell me why they don't have a similar case. They're Mississippi State with less press. I mean, okay, they're Mississippi State with less press and less talent, but okay. <laughs> and and I don't want the hate mail. And look, like Steve Denton and Kevin O'Shea are too. Like I love those guys. And and, and do they other, have I less talent? Them. But yeah, they're the they're a poor man's Mississippi State. Yes, yeah, they don't. The upside, I'm gonna say, I don't think like straight up and down the lineup. They're just slightly below like every single spot one through six yeah they are a team that is very there, there's no clear oh this is these guys are one two these guys are five six no. they have a ton of depth just it's to clear, just nothing that stands out no that's they're solid everywhere they're not great anywhere that's exactly. what you're looking for yeah I, I couldn't like again they got some real experience and and real talent and we'll see about the freshman scrobe barrack I, I gotta learn more of him but like Roddick Perot Perego, Mathis Ross, Luke Casper, Kenner Taylor, Togan Tokots. Like, they got real guys who have all played matches uh, in their careers already. And yeah, again, I don't, I'm not going to pick them at any spot entering any match as a definitive win, but I'm also knowing that they're not going to get blown out at any yeah, spot. They, I think they played Perego at four against UCLA, which is the one that just baffles me, yeah. having seen him as a freshman thinking, this is their number one player of the future, and it hasn't happened. But man, the talent is there. Yeah. But yeah, they, it's a it, it's a talented lineup. They just got to put the pieces together, and like you said, they've got 
they're probably going to have some decisions because they are deep. They've got a lot of guys that can play. No, it's going to be fascinating to see them again. It's an experienced team everywhere. How about the Cal side of this equation? Pretty successful against USC. Uh, obviously, Ryder Jackson, good win over Carly. Overbeck, good win over Peter Mock. USC kind of beat them a little bit further down the lineup. But Cal plays pretty evenly against UCLA. You had, you know, again, Derek Chen, good win over Tripathi. Chung, a good win over Belota. Uh, Overbeck dropping his match to Nanda. But Ryder Jackson getting a win over Giacomo Ravelli. Obviously, the AM singles got a little lopsided, but they were competitive in doubles in every match. Cal can, can Cal sniff top 16 this year, Chris, or are they going to be looking outside in? You know, I don't know. I, that, so that was going to be my question for you is you tell me who finishes the year ranked higher, Cal or UCLA? Well, I'm glad we put these two teams next to one another. This UCLA men's roster might be the most fascinating roster, much like the women's side. Like I had the same conversation with Jay and UCLA is always a fascinating program because in theory, they should always be a top five, top 10 program. They are one of the bluest bloods we have this roster got sneaky talented overnight, Chris, because again, Hugo Martins, Ravelli, and Nanda as your top three players, you can talk me into that top three. Now, it's not going to be in that order, but like those guys got a shot against any other top three in the country if we get the Govan Nanda of old. Now, I don't know where all of the young pieces fit at four, five, and six. Kind of a mixed bag for them. Some guys had success, some guys didn't throughout the course of the weekend. It is fascinating to look at this, and I didn't see Patrick Siraj, and I didn't see Noah Schachter. And I was like, I would shed a tear, Chris. I was not, <laughs> not in reality, but metaphorically, because I was like, where are they? I was like, they're always here. Um, I have no idea what they're going to do four through six. Again, there's a lot of guys. It's a big UCLA roster. But one through three, that's a solid starting block, right? When it's Nanda, Huga Martins, and Ravelli? Yeah, I mean, they... Definitely, uh, you got to like this UCLA team. I was on, I was honestly a little surprised. I thought, even though with the results of the Sherwood Cup and Texas A&M seemed to get the better of them at at uh, at the Sherwood Cup, I thought UCLA was prop was good at home, especially was going to come out and take this opening match against Texas A&M, and and they didn't do it. But they definitely, they've definitely got the guys that as as the season goes on. Uh, I mean, I think. To answer my own question, I think UCLA has got to be the team that comes out ranked ahead of Cal uh, and and that they they could potentially challenge for a top 16. What the what the Pac-12 needs is for both of these teams to make the push. They keep having these years where they've got like, you know, it's it's USC, it's Arizona and, you know, maybe it's Stanford or maybe it's you know, who Arizona state, or maybe it's Cal or maybe it's Oregon or maybe, or in last year it's Utah. They just need more than three teams. They need some people like the sec does where they've got seven or eight teams and they beat up on each other and everyone gets points. They need that to happen. And so they need both of these teams to pan out to be, to be good. But I think UCLA is definitely, they're a very, very interesting team to watch. Um, I, I think they, they at least have upset alert written on them every match they play. When you go and play them on any given day, 
based on what those top guys do, they could beat you no matter who you are. So you got to be careful. It's not Cressy Smith Nanda good from 2019 version, but it's a solid top three. And they go from a, a bubble of the NCAA tournament to back in the NCAA tournament pretty definitively as a roster. And again, it was interesting that none of these uh, results were enough to move the needle for any of these teams. Bring in an Illinois, bring in, you know, some of these other squads, uh, from outside the top 25 into it, just given some other teams haven't played yet. But again, with that said, Chris, we are going to rapid fire through a bunch of other observations, results from these first few weekends of play, both invitational and dual match. So let I promise, concise. We're going to be concise here, listeners. I'm just going to ask Chris one question, get him one thought from all of these takes. You ready to rapid fire through? I'm ready. All right, and then we'll get to our pre uh, previews of the weekend. One note from the Carolina Invitational. Columbia swept UNC in all seven matches. Chris swept them. They've got a dual match coming up this weekend. Now, again, there were some three setters. Zhang versus Poling. Three sets goes to Zhang. Kotzen versus freshman Patrick Shun. That's a really good result for Shun to drop that one 6-3 in the third. The other five all straight set wins for, uh, excuse me, for all straight set wins for Columbia. 6-0 there, Chris. They play again this weekend in New York. You got a thought for me? I mean, Columbia looked outstanding. Oh, my God. This is why we bought the stock and had them Out, top outstanding. 10. I looked at it and I went, wait a minute. This is why we have Columbia top, you know, in that top 10 area. And, and we're swapped with the ITA rankings who have Harvard above it. But, yeah, Columbia's got just – they've got all kinds of potential. Not that Harvard doesn't. They both do. These are two teams that should both be top 16 seeds this year. But, wow, yeah, Columbia looked outstanding. And UNC's not going to be a bad team. Columbia just looked great. Yeah, well said. All right, next next thought. Uh, Texas, we got to see them a little bit in action. Obviously, we saw their Miami spring invite. Both Braswells, Harper, Waldy, McDonald, Lucas Brown all getting victories. Spazieri actually dropped the match to Murphy Cassone, but got a bounce back win over Martin Katz. And uh, I believe he got a win over Rudy Chacon, or however you say his name, of LSU as well. Braswell's both undefeated. Harper, Waldeep, I believe, undefeated on the weekend. Looked pretty good in doubles as well. And then the big note was the matches they played this past weekend. GA was above Micah in the Lamar match. He was above PY in both of the matches. They had him at two. Now, again, was Texas pushed in either of their matches this weekend? No, but that's a lineup note, Chris. You saw GA playing above Micah, above PY when they both played in that match. You saw Jonah Braswell play both dual matches. No Waldeeb, though I think we're going to see him. No Harper right now in singles either. Chris, your takeaways from what we've seen from Texas. Obviously, they've got the UVA matchup coming up. It does feel like GA is going to be in that two spot. Yeah, I'm a little surprised. I really thought we'd see Micah in the two spot. But, mm-hmm. uh, but we'll, you know, let's wait and see when the first real match rolls out against against Virginia. I mean, that's when it gets serious. I I can't wait for that match. But, look, I'm not concerned about e- Texas or Virginia. Neither team am I worried about at this point in the season. No matter who wins or loses tomorrow uh, or today when we release this, it's it's irrelevant. They're they're both top three teams. Typical partici- uh, participation trophy, Chris, and they say our culture is soft. Just typical, <laughs> typical stuff from Chris Heliors. Well, you mentioned Virginia. Here's the big note. 
Dylan Dietrich, the freshman, top 10 newcomer in the ITA rankings. He played above Von der Schulenberg in their matchup against Liberty. Dietrich, an 0-0 win in his debut. Rodesh dropped the set, but it was all Virginia everywhere. Interesting to note, James Hopper played against Mons Dahlberg, uh, played above Mons Dahlberg in both the Liberty and James Madison matches. Just maybe, just maybe, we might see some Hopper at six action this year for the Hoos. Certainly we'll see him in doubles. Any Virginia thoughts on their two wins? Again, pretty comfortable against Liberty and James Madison. Yeah, no, nothing to speak of. You know, it, it it gets serious when they see Texas. So those were kind of tune-up matches for them, and we'll see what happens tomorrow. The big thing was, is Dietrich going to play against Von, uh, above Von der Schulenberg and Von der Schulenberg at four? That is a crazy notion, one that I did not anticipate. But I'll tell you what, if it's Von der Schulenberg at four, Chris— he can replicate what Ryan Getz did last year yeah, to well, come full circle. He uh, better be better than what Ryan Getz did last year. Can you be better, better than 21 a, and two? Yeah, he better not lose a match at four. Come on. Uh, okay. I mean, hold on. What if he's playing PY? Uh, I'm, look, uh, pre, well, I was going to say pre NCAA tournament, but, oh, but they play tomorrow. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, very, very you're good wrong. Point. You're just wrong about this take. He yeah. can be as good as Getz is plenty of enough of a litmus test. Because again, 23 and 2 just means you're not Steve Johnson uh, in college tennis. Again, we're just moving through things. Tennessee matches. Again, never in doubt. 7 0 over Penn, 7 0 over Furman. I guess the doubles point was in doubt against Penn. But the big note Monday 1. Lalami 2, Mitsui 3, Lee 4, Pitsonka 5, uh, Apple Tower 6. Again, they've got the Michigan matchup coming up this weekend, Chris. That is, I was, who came up with Lalami high in the lineup first? I got an answer for you, listener. He's got two thumbs and he's talking right now on this show. So first of all, the the next match, they played it real and Mitsui was back up in front, but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it, I, I, I Is actually, that true. I have yeah. Lalami behind, uh, at two in both matches. Uh, pretty sure Mitsui played above him the next match, but right. I'd have to go. I'd have to go either look. way. Continue. Uh, but, I, but I think the, uh, you know, the cynic in me was looking at that going, wow, Tennessee's setting the entire lineup up in anticipation of the Michigan match because they're playing Monday at three doubles. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Like, like just, you know, and, and they can look and, and I actually thought the first lineup I saw when they played Mitsui at three and Diaz didn't even play, right. They play Lalami two, uh, Mitsui three, Diaz not in the lineup. I said, well, I wonder what they submitted. Because if they submitted Diaz three, that means Mitsui's four, knowing full darn well that Michigan's probably three deep and Mitsui's a guarantee at four. But I don't think that's really what they're doing. That's just the cynic, of course. Uh, I do fully expect to see Mitsui at two. It's got to be Monday, Mitsui, one, two, when when they get into into those matches. I don't know after that. It does look like. It is a Lalami at three in all likelihood uh, in, you know, for, in front of Diaz, which I wasn't expecting good call by you. Um, and then, you know, Pajanka, I don't know that we, we see Apple Tower. We'll see what, what the rest of that lineup looks like. Um, hoping if the roads uh, seem to be decent tomorrow to make it down that way to catch that match. But, uh, but we'll see. We'll talk about it next weekend. Tennessee not just hosting Michigan, but hosting Wake Forest this weekend as well. A weekend that told us a lot about the Vols last season as they dropped both of those matches. You mentioned the Wolverines and Wake. Again, Wake Forest played a cupcake. Michigan, a definitive win over DePaul 6-1. That was never in doubt in the singles portion. But they dropped the doubles in that match. And 
Just worth noting, this is this is old school. Great shot podcast here, Chris. You're gonna like this comment. Mert Oral, you're a really I love Mert. Yeah, I've known him forever. He grew up competing against my brother. Fantastic human being. Uh, really happy that he's going to get some play this year for the Wolverines because he's a work ethic guy. He's the guy you need on your team, amping the other guys up. Anyone texts, hey, you want to go hit? I'm sure Mert's the guy who's always saying, yeah, let's do it. There was a video tweeted of his match point that involved a violent level of forehand slicing. And that tweet needs to be burned. And it needs to be erased from whatever phone or camera video it was recorded on and never seen again. Because if that's what my match point looked like, I would look at my SID. I know it's Sarah Van Meter for the women. I forget who it is for the men. I'd say, you know what? Keep that one in the clip. Where You don't need I, to show that one. Yeah, for, for sure. A, whoever posted that under the brand of Michigan tennis should be fired. Yeah. <laughs> B. He said it, not me. Yeah. B. Mad at him, Trevor. Following the violent forehand slices was an absolute moonball that should never be seen again. It was just atrocious. The whole video needs to be destroyed. Yeah. It just needs to be destroyed <laughs> and never it, it seen gave us, again. It gave us a good laugh, though. Mert, on the courts where Andre Styler once played, that cannot be a match point <laughs> video tweeted out. That's all I have to say on that topic. Again, Wolverines responded really well to dropping the doubles point. We'll see what their level looks like as they take on Tennessee this weekend. No Nino Aaron Schneider, uh, obviously. Yeah, that, that, to me, that. that's the big question for tomorrow's match in Tennessee is do we see Nino? Do we see him in doubles only or do we see him in doubles and singles? You know, less than 24 hours, we'll find out. By the way, Two things that we're going to do next week as an update on this episode. One, every coach, player, fan listening, direct message Chris on Twitter and say, hey, can you get the week ahead, week behind going? Because I'd love to see if we could get to 100 I've already got time. every coach asking yeah. me. I'm like, <laughs> my DMs are full of head coaches going, hey, are you still uh, doing the site this year? Like, well, I'm looking for the week ahead page. Yeah. It's not there. Make sure you keep pestering him because I feel bad when I do it, but you all should feel great when you do it because it actually <laughs> I ignore raises you. spirit. It's the messages I get from yeah, the exactly. Go, My peer pressure. Dang it. Look, there's something else, Chris. Don't you dare say what the actual topic is here, but there is something else that I will be spending this year trying to peer pressure Chris Hallioris into doing, and he knows exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about, and that's my fight, listeners. That's my burden. Trust me. That's where you want my focus, attention, uh, my focus, yeah. my attention, focus. That's how you say that. In 2024, that's my hint there. Um you guys all need to pester him about the website. We're just making tennis great again, Grant. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let the record show. No one on this podcast will ever be voting for the Orange Oompa Loompa. Can I can Chris convince Chris to vote for someone who may occasionally flub his word choice? Well, he comes on a podcast with a person like that for six straight years now. So again, now you know what I should be there. I don't understand. This is what I'm doing here, listeners. Don't you worry (laughs) about that. Uh, We'll worry about – you guys worry about the website. Anyways, some final thoughts and we'll get to previewing the week ahead. This is going great for a first show, Chris, of the regular season. We're back. Um, Outstanding. Yeah. um, All right. Kentucky note. Laudit's going to be the freshman in the lineup for sure. I think he's going to be the top three guy. The lefty played two this weekend in wins over Northern Kentucky, Eastern Kentucky. Eastern Kentucky is going to get to see everyone. They are the Abilene Christian of the Southeast. And just know that we see you, Eastern Kentucky, and we respect it always. Um, 
We got to bring their coaches on for the NCAA tournament, Chris. That's the other thing we really need to do is just be like, hey, you have actually played all the best teams. Can you tell us, like, who's actually good? Who are you? Like, oh, you know what? We're going to play these guys tight today because, anyways, shout out to Eastern Kentucky, Abilene Christian. You guys know you're my squads. Laudit was the highest of the freshmen. Stevenson played four. Rankin played six behind Mercer, which makes me think maybe Rankin's the odd man out. We didn't see Weeks uh, in the lineup. We only saw Lopidot and Body alternate spots at the number one position. But again, where does that tell me? Lopidot, Body, they're going to be the top two in some order. I think Laudit's the pretty clear-cut three. Then you've got this group of Stevenson, Kosne, Weeks, probably then Mercer, Rankin competing from there, Chris. Yeah, I, I do. I mean, you're right. Loud, loud it's in there. Um, I like that lineup. That's depth. That team is going to be good everywhere. You know I am I am buying all the Kentucky stock. That's the team I'm planting the flag in of everyone has underrated them entering this yeah, season. Yeah, I know you're you're high on them, and I just, you know, I, uh, you know, of course I'm the SEC guy, so I, w- I want to go there. The problem is I, th- I just think they're going to have too much dependency on freshmen. Even last year for them, it ended up being – you know, in the end, sort of the weakness to trying to depend on Cosne and Weeks. And so now, you know, now it's maybe Laudit and Stevenson. We'll we'll have to see how it pans out. It's just always tough to to pin your hopes on having to have the freshman play well. And obviously with no with no Draxel there now. Sure, I think the the Lapidot body top two is good. I just think it's going to be a little bit much to ask. Uh but look, the SEC's wide open. Uh, and they can they can do some damage. They can jump up and beat anybody on any given day. So do they get the chance like the SEC does every year to jump up one weekend and, oh, look, we beat Tennessee and we get huge points and we're a top 16 now? Absolutely that can happen. Yeah, all right. I like to hear it. Well, with that said, last two notes for you. It's just a lineup thing. Arizona 7 over UC San Diego, not University of San Diego. They went Smith, Friend, Lagayev, Strom, Hoyerall, Christensen. That caught my attention. Yeah, the Strom. I mean, look, I've talked about it. Strom's kind of like it hasn't really gone anywhere from that freshman year in terms of you want that increased level and it hasn't happened. And, you know, I, I don't know what to make of that. Is is Clancy getting is he is he able to get away with it now because it hasn't happened? So he can say, Oh, what the hell? I play him down there, he's never gonna lose. Yeah, I don't know. Like, is, the is big thing Lagayev But what about Lagayev at three and, and Hoyerall at five? Like that's the real shocker. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. And Hoyerall with the weapons that he I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that that's all kinds of trouble for anybody looking yeah. at it going, Holy cow, what are we gonna do there? Hundred percent. It's a fascinating note again in what was otherwise a nondescript match, but they play Baylor coming up this weekend. We'll talk about that in a second. Last but not least, NC State six one over Northwestern. It's a very new Northwestern team, but by contract, I have to point out Presley Thieneman victory at the number one singles position, three sets over Rapid Catry. I know a member of our Crack Rackets team will be very here happy to hear that. And what was otherwise a pretty straightforward victory on an NC State team that is experienced. They are deep. They are fascinating. Like, could they pull a Duke this year and sneaky be the second best team in the ACC? Some scholars would argue maybe, Chris. Yeah, it's going to, I mean, look, they're going to get their first big test this weekend, right? With, uh, with Harvard, Harvard coming to town, uh, who, uh, I don't know if it's been posted yet. I think, I think Memphis is going to knock Harvard off if it hasn't already happened. It's at least three, one, um, 
but Harvard's like Harvard's phenomenal. They got all kinds of talent and that's going to be, you know, a really big test for them. NC State's definitely, but you know, they've got to, they've got to be in the mix for a top 16 seed this year. Three sets at the one in five spots. Uh, one all between Alemany and what von der Schulenberg. That is a fascinating number one singles battle happening in Memphis right now. Oh, it's Cooper Williams at one. Oh, Cooper came back. Cooper he did. Luke. He, he did. He was down five three in the second, and he won the set seven five and and pushed it to a to Coop a third. De loop. You have our attention. We'll talk about that one perhaps more next week. All right. You mentioned the week ahead. Let's look at it, Chris. Here's what I want from you as we rapid fire even more so through these matches. I want a prediction. I want your swing match, and I want who's going to clinch. So those three things again: prediction, swing match. Who's going to clinch? We're going to rapid fire through them all here. UVA, Texas. Texas wins at home. Early season for UVA. Typical early UVA, right? Not worried about, not worried at all about Virginia. Just early for them. They seem to get better as the season, as the year goes on. Um, the clinch, I will say for Texas comes at whoever plays the four spot. That was in it. <laughs> I did you give me a prediction? Like you, you gave me a score line? I didn't give you a score. I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's it's uh four two Texas. Yeah. Swing match, you say four. Or the clinch at four. I'm gonna I, say I'm gonna say four two Texas as well. Swing match is the number three pos- no, the number one position. Clinch comes from who's ever playing the number five spot for Texas. All right, UVA, South Carolina. I gotta like. I mean, this one's at home for UVA. Yeah. So I, I gotta like. I gotta like UVA at home. I actually don't know honestly yet about the health of everybody on the South Carolina team. We didn't see him play. We we had the invitational, and none of the top three played. Uh, now, granted, I know some guys are still out playing. You know attorneys or whatever but um but with the sort of the uncertainty to me i'm gonna say i'm gonna say virginia probably uh four two at home there i'm more interested interested to see what those top three look like and then yeah what all kinds of intrigue in the bottom because they're unknowns to me is it it how does daria beggy look how does yelani sar look how does dylan dietrich look how i mean all of the everything once we get past the top three is mo- actually more interesting to me than the top three because the top three on both sides are pretty damn known. I want to see the bottom three on both sides. All right, we're going to change the format because otherwise we're never going to get through all of these matches. I want prediction and your favorite individual battle to watch. Michigan, and by the way, I, I think UVA 4 1 over South Carolina. Who's ever at one for South Carolina versus Rodesh? I think he's going to have a big bounce back after facing Spaziri on Thursday. Tennessee, Michigan, prediction, favorite matchup? Uh, I'll, I'll go against my better judgment. You know, Tennessee 4 1. I don't know how to pick a favorite match because the only one I'm sure we're going to see is Monday and Gavin Young. <laughs> yeah, that's the right answer. Just like, let the answer I have, it, it has to be the best match. I don't know if Nino's playing. I don't know what order the four, five, six for either team is. So it's got to be, it's got to be Monday and Gavin Young. All right, I agree. I'm going to say Tennessee 4-2. Tennessee Wake, again, at home for the Vols. 
Yeah, that that one's interesting. I have no clue what kind of lineup Wake Forest is going to roll out. They've got, you know, a lot of guys. They've already obviously played some. I don't think Tennessee should have much of a problem uh, there. I will, I'll say again, Tennessee 4-1, no clue what to expect. Is it a Maroney Monday at the top? I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. No clue what to, to put the Wake Forest lineup at. So I, I don't know about matchups. Well said. All right. For these next matches, all I need is prediction. You ready? Yep. Kentucky, Illinois at Illinois. I, I You're super high on Kentucky. I'm taking Illinois. By the uh, way, I'll go, I'll go Illinois 4-3. By the way, Tennessee 4-1 over Wake Forest. I like that pick. I'll go Illinois 4-3 in Champaign as well over a young Kentucky team getting their first taste of that level. Columbia, UNC. I mean, look, after in what New they York. just did. Yeah, after what they just did doing the Tar Heel invitation, I got to like Columbia. I don't think it's going to sweep them like they did before. But I'll go 4-2 Columbia. Really tough to beat a player twice in the span of one week. I'm going to take Columbia 4-2 at home. Baylor at Arizona. Kickoff weekend preview. Yeah. Oh, you're skipping the Arizona State match, huh? No, no, no. That's next. Baylor at Arizona State. That's <laughs> okay. next on the list. Baylor at Arizona. Uh, at Arizona, I'm going Arizona. Uh, I'll take Arizona 4-2. They don't lose at home very frequently. Here's the thing. Baylor gets to look at that match twice. That's huge for the Bears. I think they got to figure out their lineup configuration in the first matchup. I think Arizona wins it at home. Just more experienced team 4-2. But I think that's going to be a really fun, competitive, chippy three-set match, as it always is, when the Wildcats take on a tough opponent. Arizona State hosting Baylor. What you got? Yeah, this is the intriguing one to me. I think doubles is remarkably huge in this match because, look, Arizona State's going to be favored at one and two. You got Murphy Cassone, you got Bohr, the new the the freshman coming in, high high thirteen UTR. Both of those guys will probably be favored in the one two spots. Baylor will be favored everywhere else. The problem is, if Arizona State manages to take doubles with a looming potential victory at one and two, all of a sudden the pressure's on Baylor to where they have to win three through six. I still think they either win doubles and they get three of those four, or they just get them all, or they pull out either one or two. I still think Baylor wins it. It is on the road, but I'm still going to go Baylor. It's going to be 4-2, 4-3. I'll say 4-2 Baylor. All right, 4-2 Baylor, the prediction... I'll go four one bears, but uh yeah, I'm gonna go four one bears, but I think it's gonna be tightly competitive across the board. Harvard NC State, what you got for me? At at in uh, at Harvard. At Harvard. I mean that's the and NC State's gotta make the trip from a home match on Friday to at Harvard on Sunday. I I I hate those split weekends with a fair amount of travel in there. I don't think it and and if indeed Harvard loses this match, I don't know if they will or not, but if they lose this match to Memphis, they're going to have a bitter taste in their mouth. Tough ask on the road. I'll take Harvard at home 4-3. I'm going to take the Ivy Leagues to split with the North Carolinas. This is a road upset. I'm going to take this experienced NC State squad to go on the road, beat Harvard. Mississippi State, Florida State in Starkville. Who you got? Ooh, tough one, but there's no way I'm getting away from the dogs. I will be interested to see that Florida <laughs> State lineup. Uh, I mean, I expect to see, Ant, you know, Hornet Chauvin playing at one. Um, I just think too much, de- too much depth for Mississippi State. Uh, I'll go 
Or two dogs. You can take the man out of Starkville. You can never take the Starkville out of the man. I'll take Mississippi State 4-1. This will be a reminder, hey, this is a very good team. And then last but certainly not least, Chris, here's my wild card for you. I don't think you saw this one coming. Florida SMU. That's a fascinating battle. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sneaky, sneaky good matchup, man. It might not even be sneaky. It might just be exceptional. Like, again— Add Trevor Sfida to that to that SMU lineup, and all of a sudden, every match gets a little bit tricky if SMU takes doubles. That's what I'm saying. This SMU roster is a real roster. You look at, obviously, the addition of Kalamazoo finalist Trevor Sfida, but, you know, again, across the board to be able to build with Sfida to have guys like Adam Neff, Liam Krall, Eric Hadigian, Lewis Cloud, all these guys have played matches versus a very inexperienced, inexperienced, excuse me, albeit extraordinarily talented Florida roster. And obviously, again, yes, Nate Bonetto is back, but new guys, Jeremy Jin and Aiden Kim, who are all going to be working their way in, Ganesian working his way in, obviously Jim, uh, John Magnus Johnson coming in playing his first match in Florida Gaylor Colors. Narundorn's going to be asked to play a little bit more. And again, are they ready for the Coach Steinberg culture? What all that entails, that energy that he demands from his players in a match Versus the Grant Chen energy in that match. Um, this is going to be a great one. I'm really excited for this battle. Who you got? What are you looking for? Uh, what's your prediction? Excuse me. I th- I mean, I think, well, first of all, I'm a little more, I, you know, Florida hasn't played since that Illini invite. On the, the, the last day of that invite, Benetto retired in singles. I don't know what that problem was. They need him in the lineup. Um, but I still think, you know, sans Trevor, Trevor Sfida for SMU, there's just a little bit too much talent on the Florida side. And it's a it's a match in Florida. I, I got to lean towards the Gators. Would I be totally shocked at an upset? No. Or what I would call an upset? No. Uh, I think SMU could pull it off, but I'm still going to I'm still going to lean uh, uh, to the Gators and say they take a 4-2 match. I want to take SMU. Younger me would have taken SMU. A bolder me would have taken SMU. Where is this match? Is it in Gainesville? In Gainesville. Alex, be bold. Alex, be young. Be free. I'll take the Gators 4-2. I got no problem with that. By the way, Friday, one last match. Oklahoma State hosting Middle Tennessee. We'll have that match on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. It's followed by the Oklahoma State-Michigan women's match, so a fantastic day of tennis in Stillwater. It's new pieces for Middle Tennessee, Chris, and yet what can we expect in that one? Because that's a sneaky one, a sneaky big NCAA tournament match. Yeah, bunch bunch of new guys for, for, for Jimmy B there at Middle Tennessee, but still, you know, as you would expect, a, real, a bunch of talent on that roster, and... Some of the, I mean, a lot of the same from Oklahoma State. We got Tyler Zink. We got Isaac the Croft. You know, we've got, uh, you know, it's going to be a very, I don't know. It, 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 that's an interesting match to me. Oklahoma State, though, at home, it's a match they've got to win. They want to be a solid, a solid team for the tournament. They've got to win that match. You got a bunch of new guys from Middle Tennessee. You, you know, you have to put a point. You have to put a win on the board there. Yeah, very well said. Again, we'll have that one for you Friday on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. With that said, Chris Helioris, 
That's your look at the first two weekends as well as this upcoming weekend in the college tennis world. Our first regular season edition of The Deciding Point. Before we go, any final thoughts, things you need to get off your mind, things you can promise our listeners as it relates to the website? Oh, I wish I could promise, but I'm, you know, I'm doing the best I can to work on it. You know, obviously, if I end up going down to Knoxville tomorrow, I'm definitely losing a day there. But uh, yeah, the the hope is that within within the week, you know, that this week we get things uh, we get things up and running. I know everybody wants to see. Hey, look, guys, not only do you want to see the week ahead and week behind, how the hell do you think I prepare for these podcasts? <laughs> all of us behind. Yeah, I mean, it's the tool that I use to find <laughs> it all. And when I don't have it, I'm sitting there like going to twenty five thousand team websites, just like you are. So. So yeah, we're we're gonna get that up as quickly as possible. So hopefully by the time we talk next week, Gruskin, everything's up and running. Well, that's all we as college tennis fans can ask for. And as always, we appreciate the efforts you do to make life a little bit easier for all of us fans who get to enjoy your work. Again, if you have not already, be sure to check out collegetennisranks.com. It is an essential resource for college tennis fans throughout the course of any season. You know what I'm excited for? To get to do this week in, week out. Again, Chris and I will be Wednesdays, 9 p.m. Eastern time on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel throughout the course of the 2024 regular season. A shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. With that said, that'll do it with week one's edition of The Deciding Point for my fantastic co-host Chris Hallioris, our super producer Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and uh, Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Chris, what do we tell all of our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all every week of this season. Thanks, everyone.